So is it any coincidence that Jimmy returns and Michigan plays its best games of the season back-to-back? Let's discuss next on this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. But there's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. Looks deep for Anthony Cook. Waits for it. Yep, Cook. Hey, 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 Brady gets terrific. Closer and a touchdown night again. Schultz just before Brazil got him. And a leaping interception by Woodson. Harbaugh back to throw over the middle. Caught by Closer at the five on his feet. Touchdown, Michigan. Seven, 179 pounds, a junior at Michigan. But Jamie Morris packs a wallop, and he delivers for Bo Schembechler. And here's your first play. Pressure coming, sack. It is Glenn Steele, number 81, who fought his way through the traffic. Option. And Robinson calls his own number, and he's going to score. Oh, an easy touchdown for Robinson and Michigan. championship again because we're going to play as a team and when we play as a team and the old season is over you and I know it's going to be Michigan again Michigan Go Blue, I'm Steve Dace. Welcome to a brand new episode of Michigan Podcast. And, huh, so that must be why those head coaches get paid all that stupid money. Weird. So, let's face it, and we talked about it here on Michigan Podcast, the non-conference season didn't do much for Michigan. It was as soft as last year's, but last year Michigan looked ruthlessly efficient. Um, We actually saw second and third stringers scoring on a weekly basis. You could see guys developing and and getting better in real time. We didn't see much of any of that uh, this time around. In fact, our backups didn't score a single point during the non-conference season whatsoever. And then after that three-game suspension, Jim Harbaugh returns. And wouldn't you know, Michigan plays by far its two best games of the season. Michigan suddenly now looks like the team everybody prognosticated and projected it to be during the uh, marathon of an offseason that college football has every year. Why? And I think it, you know, it's hard to do a lot of different things on the football field at the same time. If you're Sharon Moore, and yeah, the, the team did not look good in the game that he coached, but he was also the offensive coordinator, the offensive line coach, and the head coach. That's a lot of responsibility. Jimmy, you know, because it's his way. We had to make it weird. All right. So we had one game where we had different coaches each half. All right. We had four different guys coach three different games. 
It's Jimmy's path. Okay. He likes it weird, seems to thrive in that environment, but that puts a lot of strain on preparation and everything else. And even when you're playing scrubs, you know, that 25 second clock, that 40 second clock, man, it's still going and you got to make decisions. You got to get going and not having your CEO there who can handle things at this level while you as a coaching staff are handling things down there at that level. I think you're just, you, you have seen it makes a massive difference. Not to mention, it's a little bit like when you have a substitute teacher, you think you can act out a little bit more. But when the regular teacher is there, he or she kind of knows all your tricks, right? When the head coach is there, he's got an uh, he's the eye in the sky watching everything. But when you've got a position coach or coordinator head coaching the team, you know, they got to keep an eye on their unit and, and their position group during the rest of the game as well as coach the game itself. And so maybe you kind of feel like, eh, you know, if I don't want to, you know, if I want to make a, if I want to make a business decision as a wide receiver and, you know, not put my body in front of some Mac or group of five, uh, you know, level defender and risk getting injured this early in the year, you know, maybe it won't get noticed and, you know, I can get away with that. And we did see some of that the first few weeks of the season, as a matter of fact. But with the head man there now, everybody's got to come correct. Because the eye in the sky doesn't lie, and he's the eye on game day. And then they'll go to the eye in the sky uh, on film day the very next day. And suddenly, wouldn't you know, everybody kind of comes correct. Everybody fulfills their role. And Michigan does look like the ruthlessly efficient team we saw last year. So that's why those head coaches make all that stupid money. Hmm. Now, what does it mean moving forward? You know, it's funny looking at analytics. You would think, and this always fascinated me in the BCS era as well. So we had these seven different computer polls in the BCS era. And I used to ask myself every year, how could we have seven different computer polls? I mean, there's only one math, right? (laughs) So, I mean, how do you have seven different computer polls? Well, because they're not really computer polls. They're polls done by people programming computers, based on formula that they weight differently than others. And that's why you're at one, at one ranking in one computer poll that maybe uh, factors a lot more on, um, you know, predictive modeling to see where you might uh, go in the future, as opposed to another poll that is maybe a, a computer algorithm des- devised to just get a strict power rating of where the teams are right now based on the way that they played. And so you look at our, you know, we call them analytics now, not computer polls in our era here. And, and if you look at ESPN's FPI, I think Michigan's only like seventh. If you look at the uh, SP plus from that exact same network, ESPN, Michigan's the number one team in the country. So what does it all mean? You get that kind of variance when you look as dominant as Michigan has the last two weeks, but the opponents are two teams that could very well not make a bowl game or be right at six and six at the end of the season. Rutgers and Nebraska. But if you look around a lot of the country right now, you know, I had Florida State number one for several weeks. They had the most impressive victory, what they did to LSU. They had one of the top five road wins as well. I know this may not be a vintage Clemson team, but that's still a very good Clemson team. And you had to go and beat them in their crib when Clemson knew it could not afford a second loss in the league. Otherwise, the season might be over. So you were going to get their best shot. And Florida State... Uh, emerged and even covered the line in both of those games. But now you have to ask yourself, how good was the LSU win? It's still a big-name team, but a lot of people think they don't even deserve to be in the top 25 right now. So I have Texas number one this week because it has the best win all year going down to Tuscaloosa and beating Alabama on the road. 
Uh, I've got Ohio State in my top three uh, because they've won on the road at Notre Dame. And I've got Michigan somewhere around seventh or eighth because it hasn't played anybody yet. I know there's a lot of you furious. But if it keeps stacking performances like what it just did, if you're going to play this kind of a schedule, then the, the, the margin of spectacular, let's go with that, MOS. We often hear of the margin for error. Let's go with the margin of spectacular. The margin of spectacular you have to fulfill against those teams goes up, right? You can't just kind of win, can't get kind of sleepwalk, can't win by seven to 10 points. You've got to absolutely dissect these teams, annihilate them, make them regret they got on the field with you. Michigan did that on Saturday against Nebraska. They, they did it in the second half against Rutgers. Keep stacking performances like that because, let's face it, Michigan's probably not going to face much of a test until the road game at Michigan State. And I don't know how big of a test that is other than it's Michigan State on the road and whatever Sparty has, that'll be its best, sh- its best shot of the year. And then you have the three games to close out the season where Michigan's probably going to be 9-0 and uh, at Penn State, at Maryland, and then Ohio State at home. And that's basically the season right there. So until then, you have to impress because you're not going to play a lot of high-profile games. But number two, you have to play yourself. Michigan's opponent each week is really itself at this point. Can it maintain the, and build that, that consistency while building to that crescendo to prepare for those final three weeks of the season that will determine how the season ultimately is looked at? Was it a missed opportunity or one of the most special seasons in all of the lore of Michigan football? If it keeps playing the way it has since Jimmy came back, the answer will be the latter. Steve Dace here, and we get asked a lot, hey, how can we support what you guys are doing at Michigan Podcast? Well, now is a great time to become one of our supporters on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Michigan Podcast is where you can go. Patreon.com slash Michigan Podcast. And if you go there, we're going to make you a little jingle. Uh, in fact, you would have gotten these a few months ago, before the, long before the season even started. All of my 2023 football futures bets I've made thus far. I can't recommend a selection any more than I bet this myself. And last year, if you followed my football futures bets and you bet alongside of me, you made a pretty nice ROI chunk of change by the time the season ended. So keep up to date on all things we think and do uh, here at Michigan Podcast patreon.com at Michigan podcast, but more importantly, just five bucks a month. And chances are, you're going to make a lot more money than that following our sports betting selections, patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. Again, patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. And thanks to all of you that have been supporting us already. We appreciate each and every one of you go blue. All right. Time now to get the view from the other side of the scarlet and gray Septic Tank with our good friend Mark Rogers back with us here on the 10 Minute War. Check out his outstanding YouTube channel, The Voice of College Football. Good to see you, my friend. How you be? Good to see you, Steve. Uh, actually, if you check out our channel, you might uh, be um, check out a, a certain segment that we did recently with uh, that uh, that I thought worked out rather well. Oh yeah, you guys apparently have not alienated enough people, so you decided to have me back. So. I did my best to uh, drive down your traffic, and I trust that it was a successful endeavor, Mark. So thank you for that. Appreciate it. All right, um, let's get to it. Any coincidence? You know, Jimmy's gone the first three games, and two games he comes back, and lo and behold, Michigan suddenly looks like the team that it was expected to look like all off season long. I don't think that's a coincidence 
at all. I think there's a reason these coaches make some of the stupid money they make. And I laid out for the audience before you came on just a few reasons why. You know, the substitute teacher thing, uh, the attention to detail thing. Uh, You're asking Sharon Moore to coach the offensive line, coordinate the offense, and be the head coach. And and I don't care who the opponent is. By, By the way, Bowling Green beat an ACC team this weekend, so there's that, I guess. But it doesn't matter who you're playing. It's still the same 25 second clock. It's still the same 40 second clock. You're still going to make all those decisions and handle all of that business while the clock is ticking, regardless of the opponent. There's going to be lapses in detail just because of uh, the lack of, of a CEO leader at the meta level. And I think the difference in seeing that guy there is kind of your, kind of your plumb line, if you will. I think you've seen that over the last two weeks, but what do you think? Well, I just made a comment a few minutes ago during another segment that uh, maybe Texas A&M's offense is generating better uh, productivity because Jimbo Fisher isn't on the sideline with like 18 sheets of paper all up and trying to figure out what's going on, that uh, he's actually the CEO and he's acting as a head coach. Jim Harbaugh, uh, you know, say what you will about it. And I find myself a bit mystified at times trying to interpret and figure out what he's talking about during these news conferences. But in amongst that, (laughs) you're not you're not you're not alone. You're not alone. (laughs) I'm not alone. But, you know, there's a genius there, too. So there's a little bit of both where I like the the straightforward guy who's able to tell me the bullet points are A, B and C. These are our objectives. And you don't get that with Jim. Uh, but what you do get is you actually with him, you get greater insight into what makes this all work if you're looking out for it. And he talked about this today and, and he couldn't put his finger on it, but he knows what the ingredients are. He just doesn't know what the secret sauce is in terms of how it works. But he obviously knows what those ingredients are. And this is just a well-functioning organization from top to bottom. And he's crediting people I've never heard of that are part of the support staff in it. Just everyone knows their roles. Everyone is working together. They understand that their personal endeavors and careers are gonna be taken care of as long as they're being unselfish and they're doing what's right by the team and they're being good teammates and all that. And it's it's uh, something to behold. I don't like that it's going on uh, with that particular program uh, with, with uh, what I would like to see the outcome of this season be. But I, I think that has a ton to do with it because, you know, this is going to be historic if Michigan can pull this entire deal off and go through a college football playoff and win a national championship with what is currently uh, by 247 Sports, the 14th most talented roster in college football, because typically these national champions have come from the top three. Mm-hmm. I think there's a Clemson outlier at number nine with a generational quarterback of Deshaun Watson. So the elite talent has been necessary to win a national championship. But right now we have an argument that this team is playing better than anybody in the country. And sure, Nebraska is not a good football team, but those are Big Ten level athletes in the trenches at the various positions on both sides of the ball. It's not a horrible team. Uh, you know, they they will they they need to work things out. And Matt Rule's got his own issues working forward, trying to turn things around. But uh, that was just surgeon like precision on both sides of the ball. It was you guys are playing boring football. This is it's producing boring football games that I don't want to watch. I keep up with because it's part of my job. But my goodness, it's 21 nothing before you can blink. 
uh, and it's just uh, it's functional across the board uh, in elite level play almost everywhere. I think there's a few things that uh, I'm curious about, though. I'm glad you brought up the talent ratings. Let, let's discuss that for a second, because, you know, I've been doing my team total talent ratings to try to measure overall roster strength and potential since 2017. I have not updated him over the last couple of months, though, because now that we are fully in this transfer portal era with so many guys coming and going, it's hard to keep up. And I kind of want to see how this season plays out to see if, 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 if that metric I created in 2017 is still as accurate by and large as it's proven to be in forecasting which teams may be cycling up or down the last few years. And when I see Michigan as the 14th most talented team, I just think that's ridiculous. But I mean, I understand where you get that math, you know, but, but don't you have to progress guys? I mean, who would you rather have right now as your start? Would you rather have your starting left guard, a five-star right out of high school, top 50 national recruit, or a guy who could be on his second year in the NFL right now, who is a mid-level four-star recruit in Zach Zinter, but is a grown ass man who's done six years now of, of strength and conditioning at an elite level and in, in many other eras would have been going into his second year in the National Football League right now and, and probably making millions of dollars for 10 or 12 years as a starting guard for one of 32 teams in the NFL. Would you rather have that guy on your, as, as, your, as a fifth or sixth year senior as your starting guard or a five-star recruit? Because the talent ratings would say the five-star recruit any football coach would say, I'd rather have Zach Zinner as my starting guard. That's a grown-ass man right now. Yeah, I can't debate that in any way, and I don't know how well 247 Sports is keeping up with the transfer portal, how accurately and specifically they are uh, changing their talent evaluations of these players as they progress. But see, I think, career- Mark, not, just, to, just yeah. not to interrupt, but pardon me, I want to make sure I make my point for you perfectly. Michigan has over 100 guys on the roster that have been on scholarship at some point. Over 100. Now, you can only have 85 scholarship players at once. You and I both know the, the, those other 20 guys aren't the scrubs. You know what I'm saying? The other 20 guys that have been on scholarship before are probably guys like Blake Corum and Zach Zinter. And so this is why that's important. Because what Michigan has done with its NIL is gone this direction when most of college football has gone this direction. Let's pay a bunch of kids money up front. You mentioned Texas A&M. That's their thing, okay? And a lot of that class, by the way, that was the highest rated class in the history of, of, the, of, the, of the internet era, like a third of those kids have already washed out or transferred out. I mean, we are, we're already hearing stories of kids, well, I was promised this, but they didn't have that. The Jaden Rashada story from this past offseason, for example. Michigan's gone the other way, which is, dude, you'll make more money playing for us an extra year and improving your draft stock than being a fifth or sixth round pick in the NFL where you're fighting for a roster spot. So come and give us an extra year. They even call it the one more year fund. And so I, I'm not sure what the talent rankings do to accommodate for the fact that Michigan is getting an extra year or two out of guys that weren't five-star recruits, but were also like top 300 overall recruits, right? You know, and so what we, we, would you rather have a team of a bunch of f- young five stars or guys who were mid to high four stars, but they're 23, 24 years old? Any coach would say the latter, Mark. I don't know how they account for that. 
I don't either, and that's why maybe those rankings aren't as accurate as they have been in the past when it was strictly recruiting, and that was pretty much it, and that was the determination, and it was simple division. Uh, now it's not. Now the, the shoot, we saw two sacks turned in by Josiah Stewart mm-hmm. on Saturday against Nebraska. He comes in from Coastal Carolina. He's become just, <laughs> man, that, that pass rush and that defensive line, that play that Braden McGregor made when Nebraska still was in a semblance of a game at that point at 14 to nothing, and they had their, their one meaningful drive of the entire game, and he just flew out of nowhere and just pushed that whole line back and just blew up that play and stopped that fourth down play inside the 10-yard line. Um, yeah, th- this is a – this is. A, I, I do have one question concerning – Okay, Donovan Edwards is a mystery to me right yeah. now. He's got he's a mystery on our to all of us too. But go ahead, yeah, yeah, just uh, three point three yards per carry. And this is a guy that averaged seven or eight yards per carry last year. Uh, I, I just don't know if anything's wrong with him. He's not healthy. What what the deal is? Because obviously the line blocks for him just like they block for everyone else. And we saw Khalil Mullings uh, maybe making a push for extra time. I think that could be a developing story. You know, we, we found out in the middle of camp that Donovan had an injury beyond just the hand injury that we, we knew about when he, as you guys saw last year, he was carrying the ball in his left hand. Uh, he had a lower body injury too. Um, and then we heard that uh, not until well into the season after it started, uh, that he was basically not really hit or tackled all throughout fall camp at all. And I, 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 and on top of that, I think he's pressing. I think that he kind of, you know, is looking for that home run play to stand out every single time. And um, and I, I could see, you know, the, the last two weeks, the Michigan coaches clearly have created a package just for him, clearly had it as a prime directive to get him going. I mean, we've had whole drives this year where we did nothing but try to get him a touchdown and it didn't work out. They're doing everything they can to get him going. And it just hasn't quite gotten there. So... Now I'm kind of wondering if Khalil Mullings, people forget, by the way, he was a four-star running back recruit. It's just Michigan thought he was a linebacker, and now he has kind of changed his body around. He's been able to focus solely on being a running back. I mean, you look at the vision and quick feet that he's displayed the last two weeks. He had, I think he had six carries, Mark, against Nebraska. One went for a touchdown. The other five went for a first down. That's a good ratio. And, and that also saves wear and tear on Blake Corum's body, too, because now he doesn't have to be the Hassan Haskins in here banging on short yardage as well. And so that, cause that's, part of the, that's one of the big prime directives of this year is to preserve Blake Corum to see if he could actually play a full bore against Ohio State once in his career. You know, um, I, I could see that being an issue moving forward for Donovan. And, and whatever's going on there, that we, uh, Jimmy has, was just asked last week, he said, hey, whatever he was dealing with in the offseason, he's good now. There's nothing physically holding him back. That could also not necessarily be true. It's just you, you may not want to tell the media, hey, here's where my running backs hurt, so everybody knows where to go after him in the game. You know what I'm saying? But uh, he's clearly not the same player that we saw at the end of last year, and they're trying to unlock that. And now I wonder if just some good old-fashioned competition from Kalel Mullings might help to unlock that finally. And, and back to a more uh, culture standpoint of what uh, Harbaugh said today, and you will probably never hear me refer to him as Jim again. I think when we were cutting our segment with you the other day and you said Jimmy, that's stuck in my head. And I know I can't <laughs> use that term. No, we only get to call him Jimmy, and he only gets called Jimmy when things are going well. When things are not going well, it's Jim. Yes, yes. 
Beth, and it's not Jim for me. It's it's Harbaugh. <laughs> so uh, I and I don't go the disrespectful route because you know the derivatives that have come from Harbaugh by Ohio State fans. But um, is is this culture? So the other comment and uh, uh, set of comments that he made concerning the the team's ability to uh, fight through injury. And here's a guy who played a long, long time in the NFL. He's been around tough guys his entire life. He's won himself. And to note this, to actually bring this up and talk about how this team, uh, most of the guys on the team play through injuries. They're tough guys. They play through pain. And that that's not something that you can teach. It's just inherent. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's maybe it can be taught through osmosis in some fashion that there's there's something that rubs off from player to player when you see other guys fight through uh, injury that you're just going to suck it up. But, you know, I think uh, these things just that he lays out there from time to time speak to whatever culture shift happened in that program. And again, I'm going to go back to me being less of an alarmist than you were a couple years ago in 2020 to say, hey, hang on, that was only six games that they played in 2020. So I wasn't diving off the deep end in terms of this uh, being dysfunctional and broken. I, I thought that they still had a good program. They they certainly needed to elevate uh, to challenge Ohio State. But there's a lot of good things that he's instilled over the course of a long period of time. And, and this is a payoff of having a coach that's as good as he is in place and not disturbing him despite his uh, escapades with the NFL for now what's going on nine years, eight years, uh, 2015. So I, I think they're paying off in, in spades. Final thing, Mark, a lot of conversation right now on social me- Michigan social media about what's the tougher game, at Penn State or Ohio State. And I actually think it's at Penn State, but it's not a fate of Ohio State at all. I just think this is a unique situation where we just humiliated them. And and I know Ohio State hasn't walked away from the game the last two years feeling all that uh, manly, but but that's a built-in sunk cost of every season is the emphasis on that game for both teams, if you know what I mean, all right? We're only debating what level of emphasis, but the heavy emphasis is a sunk cost of every season. I think there is a unique edge to, to, to the way Penn State will approach that game this year. It wasn't just any dominant win. We ran for over 400 yards against them. I mean, it just we just took their manhood from them. And then you go in there on the road and everything else. I just think it's a unique challenge that 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 makes the Penn State game, which is always one of the hardest games on the schedule, a little harder than it even normally is. And so that's why I would vote for Penn State. It's not a fate of Ohio State at all. It would, it's actually uh, an acknowledgement of how important this game is this year in particular to the Penn State program. But what's your take on this? Well, there's little history that the game matters where it's played. I, I think it does matter, but it's not significant. Where that Penn State-Michigan series, <clears throat> it has mattered where that game has been played. Great point. When yeah. those teams have been evenly matched, there's been a significant advantage, Big House versus Happy Valley. So it's at Penn State, of course. We know that that Penn State team lost six games two years ago, and they still took that down, and it took an Eric All play at the end of the last, yeah. uh, what, four minutes of the game to win that game. I also think that there's significance to Penn State being the first time that Michigan's going to face elite talent. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, they're going to be accustomed to it for three weeks. 
by the time they play Ohio State versus that first punch in the mouth against, okay, we don't see it in practice every day, but now we see it at 100% speed. And that Penn State defense brings first-rounders on every level. Uh, So I I think that's significant as well. And and so those are the things that come to mind that would push that uh, Penn State game to a, a different place this year. That's excellent analysis, brother. Great stuff. That's why you get paid the big bucks, man, over there at the uh, Voice of College Football. Thank you, Mark. Good to see you as always. Appreciate it, Steve. Are you also tired of one-size-fits-all weight loss plans? Meet Noom, the personalized solution that meets you where you are. Noom is able to understand your unique needs, from dietary restrictions to medical concerns. Unlike restrictive programs, Noom embraces your lifestyle and choices. Discover a sustainable approach to weight loss, tailored just for you. Honestly, Noom felt like it was made for me. It's not just about what I eat. It's about understanding why. With Noom, I've learned so much about myself and built healthier habits that stick. It's all about progress, not perfection. Say goodbye to restrictive diets and experience the Noom app for yourself with personalized lessons and expert coaching. Noom's psychology and biology-based approach has helped over 5.2 million people achieve their goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. This week's Twitter poll results, we asked you, what do you think will be Michigan's toughest game this season? 62% of you said at Penn State. 38% of you said the game. Now, I actually agree with this. I talked about this a little while ago with Mark uh, Rogers over at uh, um, his own outstanding channel, the voice of college football, but he's a big buck nut. The reality is it, this is a unique event for Penn State, I think. You know, Ohio State is the biggest game every year regardless. But this will be new for Penn State. We, we absolutely took their manhood away from them last year. We embarrassed them on national television. And they think now that they have the team to kind of step into that elite status in the league alongside Michigan and Ohio State. So this is they have extra emphasis on that game. I'm sure it's the game they have prepped for more than any other game all season long. And so I agree that because of that, it's not really a fate of Ohio State at all. It's it's more added respect for the situation and the difficulty of playing Penn State this season. So I, I agree that it is the toughest game on the schedule as we speak. That brings us to our feedback of the week from Senor Raul T-Bone Salbergo. I love that name. Who writes, the Maryland game is what worries me. They're a better Maryland than before, and it's on the road, sandwiched between Penn State and Ohio State. So I'm a big believer in the sandwich game phenomenon. You, you, you saw it even just this past week with some teams like Oregon kind of sleepwalking in the first half against Stanford. What is a sandwich game? For those of you that don't know, it's when you, get a, it's when you play a big emotional game one week and you have another one on tap the next week. And then in between, you have a game that a lot of people are like sleepwalking through and you get caught napping. The issue with Maryland being a sandwich game this year is everybody's been talking for nine months that Maryland is a sandwich game this year. And so if everybody's talking about that's the sandwich game, is it still a sandwich game when everybody's talking about it? So obviously the program is well aware of it as well. Now, I don't expect the, the, the team to be as emotionally up for that one as it will be against Penn State and Ohio State bookending that game. But I think that they understand that that's a sandwich game. Jimmy has just owned Maryland since he's been head coach. And 
I think Maryland right now actually has the weakest strength of schedule, according to Sagarin, in the Big Ten. They're 132nd in strength of schedule, and there's 133 teams in FBS. So, But, hey, they've got a chance. They've got an outstanding quarterback. He hasn't been outstanding against Michigan yet, but who knows? Maybe this will be the year. That'll do it for this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. Don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, five-star review, share, follow, whether you're watching here on YouTube or listening on iTunes or elsewhere. It'd go a long way to helping us find more Michigan fans just like you. And keep those five-star reviews coming as well. We appreciate all of those as well as the comments. Uh, The uh, YouTube algorithm loves when you guys load us up with comments, so keep that coming as well. Thank you to all of you doing all of those things. And don't forget to follow us in between each episode at Michigan Podcast on Twitter, or if you prefer X, I still prefer calling it Twitter, at Michigan Podcast. Again, that's at Michigan Podcast. Until the next time, I'm Steve Dace. Let's get that little brown jug and bring it back home. Go Blue.